You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. In this little mini-series on the prayers on the tefillot of the Yamim Ra'im. So today, the first class, we will be discussing the prayer of Unatana Tokef. This particular prayer is perhaps, if we could say, I don't think it's an exaggeration, but we could say that it's the most moving and the most stirring of all of the um, tefillot of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur because it takes place in the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, right before Kedusha. Everyone is, is together. And then the Tzibur begins this prayer, Unatana Tokef. There is a legend, there is a story, that's behind this particular prayer. I'm going to share with you the legend as it appears in the Sefer Or Zeruah, which is the source for it. And I want to point out before we begin, there are those people who question the validity of the story behind Unatana Tokef. I'm not sure why they question it. The story of, of someone who's in a very difficult situation and they write this tefillah and that's the tradition which we have. For some reason there are people who question this account based on this evidence, based on that evidence. Personally I don't understand what the big deal is. This kind of story has happened to the Jewish people a thousand times, ten thousand times. So, why is it so difficult to believe that at some point one of those individuals wrote this prayer? I don't know why. What's even worse is that you'll find that sometimes other kinds of things are established history based on less information than this. We're not going to focus so much on the validity of the legend, not the validity of the legend. That's not really what's important. What's important is the power of this tefillah but the story behind it is important, as we'll see if you look at the actual text of the tefillah, and that's what we're going to focus on. So, so the story, yeah. So the story is that in the city of Magenta, of Magenta, there was uh, there was a Rebbe Amnon. He was the leader of the Jewish people in his community. He was not just a great Torah scholar, but he was also someone of great stature and the world, all the people around him respected him. And in those days, it was, it was the, uh, basically the situation was that the Christians were trying to convert as many Jews as they could. That's what they felt was one of their important missions to convert the Jews to Christianity. But if they could get someone like this Rabbi Amnon, who was the leader of the Jewish people, if they could get him to convert, then they felt like they could get everyone to convert. So they put all their efforts on him, and he refused. The, the count, or the duke, whoever was in charge over there, decided that they were going to push it. They... Um, they pressed on him and they said to him, you have to convert to Christianity um, and the threats were a little more serious. So he wanted to stall, he wanted to buy time. So Rabbi Amnon said, give me a few days to think about it. Give me three days to think about it. When he left, 
he realized that he had made a terrible mistake. The suggestion that he was going to think about it is itself, he considered that to be an act of heresy. That's an act of rebellion against God. Because when someone offers you the opportunity to convert to another religion, you say no. That's the only answer that you give. Even making the suggestion that he was going to think about it was something that he could no longer, he couldn't handle that, that he had done that. And it had been in a a sort of impulsive moment where you figure, okay, I'll just stall for a time, get myself three days. But, But he realized, and so he spent the next three days basically in Avelut, in mourning, for his terrible sin which he had committed. People came, came to him, they tried to console him, tried to make him feel better. But he realized that what he had done was so terrible. The suggestion that he was willing to reject God, that he was inconsolable. And so he decided the only proper... forgive me. What? Uh, for, uh, forgive me. What rabbi are you talking about? Rabbi Amnon of Magents, of Magensi. Is it the Hava? Yeah. Shoshana. Shoshana? So, so he refused to accept any, any um, consolation. He refused to accept anyone who tried to tell him it's not so bad what you did. To him, this was the worst thing. Mamash, like he had gone and, and done Avodazar. So he figured the only solution was that he wasn't going to go. He can't go after three days because now he's validating that the three days were days, so he's not going to go. He refused to go. And so they sent a messengers after him. They sent uh, dignitaries to call him, but he refused to go until finally they dragged him. They dragged him before the count. And the count says to him, why didn't you come? It's been, you said you were going to come after three days. And he said, he said, I would, re- I would like to request the following punishment be given to me. Well, he asked that his mouth, which had spoken words that he didn't want to speak, that his tongue should be cut out. That's what he suggested his own punishment should be. The, the, uh, um, the duke, when he heard this, he said, I have a better idea. I don't think your sin was in your words. I think your sin was in your legs, which did not walk to come to where um, I was calling you and, and, and your hands. And so they, they, they tortured him by cutting off each of the joints through his fingers and his hands. And they went from joint to joint to joint. And each time they asked him, do you want to convert? to stop the process but throughout this as they were um, as they were cutting off limbs from his body he refused to convert and he saw this he saw this as a a way to do teshuva for this um, transgression this rebellion against God he saw this as a way of, of a tikkun for himself. So he welcomed all this suffering and so they sent him home at the end. They sent him home at the way that it's described is on a shield with his body parts next to him. 
it was just a few days before Rosh Hashanah, he didn't have much time left in this world, and so he asked that on Rosh Hashanah he be brought into the Beit Midrash, into the Beit Knesset, into the synagogue, to, to, and uh, before Kedusha, before we went into the special prayer praising Hashem for His greatness, he silenced the tzibur and asked to recite his own prayer, which is where he recited the Unatana Tokov, which we assume he probably wrote during those three days or some point before, but he recited Unatana Tokov. And then later, he came back in a dream to uh, another one of his colleagues, um, um, to Rabbeinu Klonimus, and he um, gave him over the text of the Unatana Tokov and asked him to disseminate it amongst the Jewish people. It's interesting that you know, in the days of the Nevi'im, they spoke with Nevua, and in the days of the Gemara, they had a, a bat call, they had heavenly voices. In the days of the Rishonim, they used dreams to communicate with each other. But the, the, the point is, though, that, um, that this text was given over, and now virtually everywhere they have the text of Unatana Tokov. That's the story, that's the legend behind this tefillah. I'm just curious, why did you say that some people um, think that they, they don't... So, some people, again, this is um, the sensationalism of historians is that um, stories which are like legends, which are accepted stories, they have to find some fault with it. They have to go looking for, it couldn't have been, this story, that story, we have evidence of this happening here and that here, because they're so questioning of, of these legends, how could it be that this is what happened? And it, it's almost like uh, there's something personal that they don't, want, they don't want this story to be true. It, it, it's, it's a little bit baffling. Actually, the Right. No, I understand. It's it's uh, this was this was written in Germany, so it didn't. But but generally speaking, in the Tanatokov. So what we're going to talk about, I'm going to read and translate on the Tanatokov. Everyone can read and translate in the Tanatokov and in your sitter. But what I'd like to do is talk about more as we go through it, more about what the author is trying to give away. And I think that the legend is a very important part of this story. And I'll tell you why. Rosh Hashanah is Yom Hadin. It's the Day of Judgment. Why is Rosh Hashanah Yom Hadin? If you look in the Torah Shebikhtav, in the written Torah, you will find very little about Rosh Hashanah being a Yom Hadin. You have um, you know, Yom Zikaron at best. Right? But, but it, it, which means that something's being remembered. That's what Zikaron means. But it being a Yom Adin is really not clearly written in the Torah, although we have a number of Remazim. What but are the Remazim? There are places, there, there are places um, in, in, in the Torah, in the Torah Shebikhtav. And uh, we ha- even have in Tehillim, we have Tiku Bachodesh Shofar, Bakesel Yom Chagenu. So you have in Tehillim, you have Tiku Bachodesh Shofar, blow on the new month, the Shofar. means on the holiday, Kesa, which is hidden. Now, remember the story, um, David HaMelech lives before Hanukkah. 
So at that time, it's a pretty easy riddle to solve which Chag falls by Kesa when the moon is hidden. So only Rosh Hashanah falls at the beginning of the month. And there it says, Ki li Yisrael hu, Mishpat, Yaakov. So there are sources that there's a day of judgment, but it's not written clearly in the Torah. But it is written clearly in the Torah Sheba'al Peh. Because in the Mishnah, in Mesecha the Rosh Hashanah, there it says, Berosh Hashanah, Kol Ba'e Olam, on Rosh Hashanah, all those who inhabit the world, Ovrin Lefanav, Kivnei Maron. Everyone passes before God, Kivnei Maron, which we're not going to translate for now. So. Right? That's one translation. Shnemar, as it says, Hayotzer Yachad Libam, Hamevin Al Kol which is a passage in Tehillim again, chapter 33. So that's the first source from the Torah Shabbat Peh that Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment. But even though it's not written clearly in the Torah Shabbat it's always been treated based on the Torah Shabbat Peh as the Yom Adin, as the day of judgment. But there, are, there is another day of judgment. There's another day of judgment. Yom Kippur. Well, e- even bigger than that. The Yom Adin Hagadol which is Hine Anochi Sholeach Olchem et Eliyahu Anavi Lifnei Ba Yom Hashem Agadol Ve'anorah which means the great judgment day the day when when Mashiach will come and there will be Tzachiyat HaMetim and God will gather the whole world and there will be the Shofar of Mashiach that's also a judgment day but there's another judgment day but this day is not known it's not known but this, there's another judgment day and the judgment day is each person's personal judgment day when they die. When they die. So there's a, there's a judgment day of, which, is, which is on Rosh Hashanah where all those living in the world pass before God. There's the great day of judgment when everyone is judged. And there's also the personal day of judgment and that's um, when the person is about to leave the world. What's the difference between these three? The one on Rosh Hashanah is the one where you see the least. You're just sitting there in shul and the cantor is going on and on and on about his tefillah and I'm wondering how long until I can get to the soup. <laughs> that's, that's all I'm thinking about. <laughs> or you think who people you know that had these things. Right. Uh, b- but, but the... You're killing me. <laughs> right. That's all we're thinking about. The other two... The, the Yom Agadova Norah, the day of judgment, will be lightning and thunder. The day of death. So, what this tefillah does is it uses languages that refer to all three of these judgments. That's the language that appears in the Tanatokah. And specifically, and I think that's why it's so important, we have to understand that Rab Amnon, who wrote this tefillah, is writing this tefillah as he's looking, he's in the process of, of leaving this world himself. So he's sort of seeing his own personal day of judgment, and he's writing that into the tefillah, which is for each of us the communal judgment, and is tying that into the great judgment. So almost as if what he's trying to do is he's saying that since he's in his personal day of judgment in Yom Adin, he can picture 
what the din looks like. And he's trying to pass that on to us. But so that we can take at least a minute on Rosh Hashanah and think about what's happening behind the curtain. What's happening behind the wall? Here I am just looking at the, sitting in the synagogue. But what's happening in heaven? And even though it's interesting that on Rosh Hashanah, it, and our sages did this on purpose, Rosh Hashanah is Yom Adin. There's almost no discussion throughout the Rosh Hashanah davening about the Din. On Yom Kippur, it's all about Alchet, forgive us, we've done, Slach Lanu, Lanu, Kaper Lanu. On Yom Kippur, we do all kinds of, of, of requests for forgiveness. On Rosh Hashanah, not only that, but even in the Avinu Malkenu, where at the end of Shemona Esrei, at the end of the Amidah, when we say Avinu Malkenu, the, the, one of the first Avinu Malkenus is Avinu Malkenu Chatanu Lefanecha. There are those who take out that line on Rosh Hashanah, because on Rosh Hashanah we don't talk about Chet. On Rosh Hashanah instead, we spend the entire day being, as, as we say, Mamlich HaKadosh Baruch Hu Olam. We make Hashem king over the world. That's what we're doing. All of the prayer, Hashem Melach, Hashem Malach, Hashem Imloch, and it's almost like a the way that our the commentators explain it is that it's almost meant to be like a um, uh, to 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 go away from the concept of judgment and say, listen, you judge us however you want. We're just going to focus on on making you the king because we accept you as our king. And it's like it's like when the king calls us to judgment, and instead we put on a parade for him. And so the king won't judge us because look, they're such loyal servants. So that's an interesting approach. Yom Kippur, which is ten days later, it's a little too desperate for games. So on Yom Kippur we actually ask for forgiveness. But on Rosh Hashanah, even though we don't, this, these few minutes, hopefully it's more than a few minutes in, in the right shul, but these few minutes are the opportunity to actually address the day. So it begins, Unetane Tokef. Unetane means, let's talk about. Let's talk about the strength, Kedushat of the holiness of this day. Unetane is an interesting word to use because it means, let's go back and forth. Let's think about this. Let's, let's talk about the greatness of the holiness of this day. Kihu Nurava Ayom, it is awesome and fearsome. He wants you to recognize this image. You've all heard this before, that in, in, in the Haim, back in Europe, in the world of the yeshiva, if you would even say the word Elul, trembling would, 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 would start. People would hear the word Elul, and they would start thinking about the seriousness of the judgment that's coming, and they would begin to tremble. In America... It's not so much like that. In America, they tremble when they hear the word September. Right? That's a, it's, a, it's a little different. Or, or some say it's the fear that we have when we hear the word Pesach. But, but, but it used to be that, that Yom Adin meant something to people. And people would, in the month of Elul, behave differently. Certainly during the Aseret Yemei Teshuvah between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, people would just naturally have this internal fear and it is because kihu no rava ayom. It is fearsome. But my question: There are slichot. I think a week before Rosh Hashanah. So why do we ask slicha before on our 
uh, on our sins and you say that we just treat uh, on Rosh Hashanah the, right. the Melech right. as a king why right. do we that's remind a, him that's an excellent point uh, on Rosh Hash- meaning that on Rosh Hashanah itself we don't ask for forgiveness we don't talk about these things but we do we say Slichot for days before where we ask God for forgiveness amongst the Sfaradim they start a month before um, right? so w- w- the, the answer is because we are purposely purposely ignoring the fact that it's Yom Adin we, we remove it from except for these moments of Natana Tokev that's exactly what we're doing is what we're saying is even though it's the day of judgment we're not going to focus on that right? so even though we ask for forgiveness before and we say we continue in the prayer this is the day when your kingship will be exalted will be uplifted what does that mean? Is Rosh Hashanah the day when God is really exalted in the world? Who else recognizes this day as the day when God of, of the coronation of God? So on some level he's referring to the big picture, to the day of the Yom HaGadol, to the day when God will be recognized by the entire world as king. But at the same time that he's doing that he's referring to this day he's saying your throne will be established in kindness we know that even though Hashem created the world of Amidat Adin he saw as our sages tell us the world could not survive on Midat Adin so he put in Midat Arachamim and so what happens is that on Rosh Hashanah, when we blow the shofar, we don't know how this works exactly, but what we are doing is we are facilitating moving from the world of Din to the world of Chesed and the world of Rachamim. And so we say, meaning that this is the day when you will sit on your throne, but it will be a throne of Chesed. But, but Chesed, does not mean that you ignore the emet, the truth. It means, right, it doesn't mean that we pretend like nothing happened. Which means even if you are convinced that God will be generous and God will be kind, which is how many people um, kind of get away from the fear of Rosh Hashanah, of the Yom Adin, by saying, oh, Hashem will forgive us, we say, listen, there's still emet, there's still truth. So you have to be filled with this fear. But don't worry! Don't worry, it's fine. What have I done already? What have I done already that's so bad? So you are not being judged by a jury of your peers, of people who you can talk into something. Who is judging you? So here begins a little entry. Emet, the truth is, Ki atahu dayan umochiach v'yodea v'ed. God is the judge mochiach right? that means the, the uh, person who, who gives out the punishment the one who gives the musar for your day God knows va'ed, and God is witness everything is written everything is sealed everything is counted everything is listed and everything that's forgotten will be remembered we we cannot fathom how much we have forgotten 
Let me try the following exercise. Does anyone remember their children trying to write in a straight line? Remember your children trying to write in a straight line? And they couldn't. And you were frustrated looking at them going, just straight line. Why is that so hard? Now, I want you to think about and see if you can do this because it's not easy. Can you go back to when you were a child and you had a hard time drawing a straight line? We were born genius. <laughs> what did you say? What? We were born genius. <laughs> Everyone has to back. But, but the question is, can you go back to that place? Can you find that memory? It's a very simple memory. Some people can maybe find it, some people can't. But how much is that memory worth? But we have selective memory. Right. There are some, some events that I remember from my childhood. Yeah. The question is, why do parents become frustrated when their children can't draw on a straight line if the parents went through the same process? Everyone had to learn to draw on a straight line. The answer is, because, because we forget. How much have we forgotten? That's just one little tiny thing. Your entire life is remembered in Shemaim. Every thought, every word, every action, every tiny little nuance, every dirty and vile and disgusting and filthy and inappropriate thought that you've ever... Everything is all... All the nishkachot, they're all... Betizkor kala nishkachot, they're all remembered. So when a person starts to think that way, when you start to realize the emat hadin, the fear and the awe of the judgment, that every single um, nuance and every single tiny little thing in the person's life, and so again, think of Rav Amnon of, of Magensi, who is writing this, realizing that he's about to step before the heavenly courts himself in, in his, at the end of his life. And he knows that every single detail will be remembered. But I have a question. If every single detail is remembered, and Rabbi Amnon was such a tzaddik that he always did good things, he said one time <coughs> something that wasn't even a sin. He, you know, maybe it was even, I don't know, in Hebrew you say, plitat peh. Right. And for this, he was punished so severely. He punished right. himself. Right. He, he, right. he took this on himself because to him, what he had done with that statement, what he had done by saying, give me some time to think about it. Right. To, to him, this was no different than if he had bowed down to an idol. Right. Right. He, yeah, I think that's the, really the right of the Chil Hashem. To him, he... he he wanted to suffer as much as possible in order to get rid of this, of this sin. But that's really the point we're making, is that, is that yeah, even this tzaddik, we, the, the, the uh, intensity of the judgment is so, is so severe that, that that's what v'tizkor kala nishkachot means that all the things that I've forgotten, 
they're all remembered. Again, all, every time that you've had some terrible, terrible thought, um, and every single one of these thoughts, if you've ever had a thought about stealing, if you've ever had a thought about whatever you've had a thought about, it's going to be brought up and remembered and, and shown. The Tiftach as Sefer HaZichronot. And then you're going to open up the books of all the, uh, the, the Sefer HaZichronot, all the memories. And it will read on its own. The book is going to read, and then the worst part is, the Chotam Yad Kaladam Bo, and the signature of every person will be at the bottom. We are told, this is, um, in the world these are all um, people who are very well, well versed in the Kabbalistic teachings, so they certainly would have been those who understood the following. But we're told that every night the neshama goes up to Shamayim and writes down everything that happened that day and then the person signs it at the end. Like, uh, please sign your name at the bottom of the page certifying that these are the actual events that occurred. And then when it comes after, uh, after Me'ev Asrim, after 120, a person is presented with all of the... They say, I didn't, I didn't really do this. And then we show them the signature of the person. So that's what he's referring to. So again, literal, not literal, it doesn't really matter. The point is that here is someone who's standing at the edge of his own day of judgment. And he's trying to give over to us Please take five minutes from your Rosh Hashanah. Forget the, forget the, forget the brisket in the oven. Forget, forget whatever you're doing. Just take these minutes and think about the awesomeness of the day. And then everything changes. Everything changes. Instead of the focus being on the Yom Adin, on the Day of the Judgment, of my personal actions, I, 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 it, becomes, it becomes more global. Uba shofar gadol yitaka, the great shofar blows. Now, this could be referring to Rosh Hashanah. It could also be referring to Vahaya bayomahu yitaka b'shofar gadol this pasuk that we actually say in our Rosh Hashanah davening that on that great day so clearly here it says referring to the shofar of Mashiach the shofar of the great day so again Rav Amnon is now invoking this picture of the future time we call the Mama Daka Yishama. But besides for the shofar, which is this great sound, we hear a call the Mama Daka. Call the Mama Daka means this thin, piercing sound. But it's very, very quiet. This is, of course, based on the psukim that described by Eliyahu. When Eliyahu saw that there was there was the fire, there was the wind, there was and there was not Hashem. Hashem came but called the Mamadaka, which means that there is a silence. God comes in the silence, and so all of a sudden, and you have to wonder if Rabbi Amnon is picturing this in his head or if he's experiencing this and feeling this. But all of a sudden, there's this silence. Umalachim yechafezun, 
and the angels are trembling. Angels don't have free will. Angels are perfect beings. Why are the angels trembling? And and the fear and and almost like a like a shock. They're afraid. Yochezun grasps them. The angels are frightened. What are the angels frightened of? The Yomru and they say, Hine Yomadin. It's the day of judgment. What does it mean it's the day of judgment? It's the day when everything will be decided. Not only will judgment be given to humanity, but Lifkod Al Marom Badin. God is going to judge the entire universe. The angels are also being judged. What are the angels being judged about? They don't have free will. What are the angels being judged about? You know what the Mefarshim they say on this? What's the next line? Because they will not be found meritorious in your eyes in judgment. The simple translation is that even the angels who are perfect beings with no free will they fall short. They're not doing enough. The angels who they're, do everything they're afraid of not they're, Right. They're afraid that they're, they haven't done enough. So what are we supposed to feel? If the angels and their heavenly beings they're thinking that they haven't done enough because relative to God and how much we should be serving God we haven't done enough what should we be doing? That's one interpretation. There's a second interpretation which is perhaps even more shocking. It's the day of judgment where God is going to account for the angels above in judgment because the Jews are not going to come out on the right side of the judgment. Because as we know Bereshit bara Elokim, we say Bereshit, Bishvil Reshit, Bishvil Yisrael, Shenikra'u Reshit. God created the world for the sake of the Jewish people. Now, originally, God created the world for the sake of humanity, but then humanity didn't want to accept the Torah, only the Jewish people accepted the Torah, so the world became about the Jewish people, Hashem created the world for the sake of those who would serve Him. So the world was created, Bishvil Yisrael. When the Jewish people were standing at Har Sinai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought, gave them the Torah, and said, Im atem et Torah mutav, and if not, Hashem said, Achzir et ha'olam I will return the world to a, a state of emptiness and chaos because the world was created as long as the Jewish people are keeping the Torah. God says, if not, if people don't keep the Torah, then then uh, then then we don't need a world. So if the Jewish people can't come out in judgment on Rosh Hashanah, can't come out ahead, then the angels too are also in danger. The angels also cannot survive the judgment. 
and therefore what they say is which means that the angels are hoping that the Jewish people can come out with a good judgment so that they too can survive and then we say all the people in this world they pass before you Kivnei Maron is, is translated by most commentaries as, as like sheep. That's usually what it'll say in your, in your commentary. However, that is not the only and possibly not the a preferred translation. There are other translations of Kivnei Maron. The reason why this particular... The reason why it's translated here Kivnei Maron as sheep is because of the language that continues. But let me, let me take a break here for a second and go to what it says in the Talmud. The Talmud says, My Kivnei Maron. What is Kivnei Maron? Hacha Targimu. Hacha, meaning in Babylon, they translated, they translated Kivnei Maron as Kivnei Imrana, like sheep. Reish Lakish Amar, but Reb Shimon ben Lakish said, no, it's Kimalot Beit Meron. Like the steps leading up to the house of Maron, which, which some say it's not Maron, but it should be Choron, but the point was that it's this place, um, this base uh, Choron or Beit Maron, was a place and I'll give you the language that Rashi uses Haderach Katsar it's a very narrow path two people cannot go side by side because the valley is very deep which means that it's this big valley and you have to cross on this very very narrow bridge Ki'ilu like Rabbi Nachman said, that this entire world is a Gesher Tsar Ma'od, a very narrow bridge, Vaikar Lolafachid, right? So the, the, that's another translation of Kamalat, Overing Lovnecha Kivnei Maron. Again, not Kivnei Maron meaning sheep, because the Hebrew word for sheep is Imrana. So Maron is related to Imrana. This one learns Kemalat Beit Maron, which means these, these, uh, this pathway that you had to ascend through that was very narrow, you could fall on either side. I think in Hebrew the word sheep is Tzon. Right. And in fact it was an idiom. It wasn't so nice, but in Israel they talked about the Holocaust. Right. Right, right. So, so that's a different interpretation than this one that it refers to, right? And then the third interpretation is Kichayalot shall bet David. Kivnei Maron, Maron Milashin Marut, which means master. Kivnei Maron means like the like the uh, like those of the master, meaning like the soldiers of Beit David. So there's a three-way argument in the Talmud. One says that all of us pass before God Kivnei Maron like sheep. The second interpretation is that all of us pass Kivnei Maron like we are passing down a very narrow um, path. And the third 
is that we are passing Kivnei Maron like the Chayalot, like soldiers who are passing in front of the king. For some reason, for some reason, we adopted in the Tanatokev, adopted the third, um, the first of these interpretations, which is like sheep. So you say, well, what's the difference? So, in the Talmud, this would be considered Agada. This would be considered an Agadaic teaching. And even though the primary commentary on all of the Talmud is the commentary of Rashi, if you want to understand Agadot, you have to look at the Maharsha. Maharsha um, is the primary commentator on the, uh, on the Agadot of the Gemara. And here's what he says. I'm, I'm just going to say it outside to avoid the... Yeah, I'm going to run out of time. He says, we know that the Talmud tells us that Shlosha Sfarim Niftachim, three books are opened on, on Rosh Hashanah. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Shlosha Sfarim Niftachim Berosh Hashanah. Echad shal Rishaim Gemurim, Echad shal Tzadikim Gemurim, Echad shal Benunim. On Rosh Hashanah, three books are opened. One where we're going to write in all the Rishayim Gemurim, the completely wicked people, another book for the um, in-between people, the Benanim, and then, the, and, well, the Tzadikim, and then the Benanim. Tzadikim Gemurim, Nechtavim V'Nechtamin La'alter L'chaim. If someone is found to be a Tzadik Gemur, they are written into the Book of Life. And this is all very confusing, because what does it mean, the Book of Life? Uh, there's a lot of righteous people who, who, who die, there's a lot of um, wicked people who live, what does this exactly mean? But it means, in the, certainly it means in the book of merit. The Rishayim Gemurim, Nechtavim and Nechtamim Alter Lamita. They go straight to death, whatever that means. This is why there's a beautiful minag that on Rosh Hashanah night, only the first night, when everyone leaves the shul, they say, L'shana Tova, Tekatev Tekatev Alter Lachaim, Tovim L'shalom, different Nishaad, all based on this. Bein and Niyim, people who are in between, they remain in suspension from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. And obviously many take this approach that it doesn't mean literally if someone is 51-49 that they're a tzaddik and someone is 49-51 is a rasha and those people who are 50-50 exactly because how many people are exactly 50-50? It means the regular people, the benunim, people who are good, sometimes good, sometimes bad. They get delayed at Yom Kippurim Zachu Nichtavim L'chaim Lo Zachu Nichtavim L'mita That's the Gemara So says the Maharsha He says that there's three books There's three books because there's three kinds of people There are those who are coming as Tzadikim There are those who are walking as Benunim And then there are those who are walking as Rishaim So says the Maharsha The Rishaim they walk like sheep. The Rishaim, they're going, um, you, you said Latzon Latevach, but, it, but they're passing before, like they're, like they're going in line, because they're the Rishaim, and they're walking into in, in their punishment, to their death, so to speak. Mamash, like that, uh, like that mashal. Um, Right, he says, Kemoshatzon nimna la tevach, ke nimnu rishaim lamita. 
the second the second group are those people who are walking in a very narrow path where if you go this way you fall, you go this way you fall. So says the Marsha, that's the Benunim. Those are the people who are walking in the Day of Judgment with this fear of, I hope that I survive this. Because they're Benunim. While the Tzadikim walk like Chayalot. They walk like soldiers. They walk like proud of the fact that they represent the glory of God and so therefore the tzaddikim they take the third explanation so it's clear that since the Talmud offers three interpretations which are on different levels which one would Rabbi Amnon put into his prayer Rabbi Amnon who feels guilty for the sin that he committed he thinks he's lost so he's taking the approach like he's coming and I'm not sure if that's good for us because uh, maybe we're not supposed to approach it like Rishayim I'm wondering if maybe Klal Yisrael needs a little more I don't know what the term would be but it, in Talmudics we would say a little more Chayalut we need a little more of that sense of we are God's army and so we are going to come out in a good place of judgment for some reason you may wonder if maybe there's a little bit of a, of a, of a self-judgment here when we translate Kivnei Maron as sheep because according to the Maharsha that means we're seeing ourselves as the Rishayim rather than the Benaniim but it's clear that that's the approach that's the interpretation Rabbi Amnon wants because he says Kivakarat Roa Edro except you'll notice that he uses the word Vakarat what's Kivakarat? Vakarat means inspection. Mavir tsono shivto for what purpose? Shevet zemakel. Zemakel. Right, but but for what reason does the shepherd take the sheep under his under his shevet? To protect it. To count them. Right. To to so he says kain tavir you should pass us through with tispor v'timna. So what Rabbi Amnon did in this prayer, I, I, I want you to make sure I say this correctly. What he's done is, he's, he's taken the image of the, of the fear and the trepidation and the, the ema and the yira of the day. And he said, it's, yom, it's the day of judgment. And we're supposed to be passing Lofanecha Kivnei Maron. Kivnei Maron, which in this translation means like sheep, but sheep to slaughter, Tzon Latevach. Instead, it should be different. It should be the shepherd who's counting his sheep as he brings them back into the corral. Kivakarat Roa Edro, like the shepherd who's inspecting his flock, making sure that all his sheep are safe. So he's using this to turn around um, to pass the sheep under the rod, which again, you're right. Shifto is used to hit or, or to, to mark, protect. but also, Kain Tavir, you should pass us through. You should account every life. And you should designate for each of us our allotted portion. Because our sages tell us that on Yom Rosh Hashanah, 
that's when it's decided how much each person is going to get for this year. The mezonotav shel adam, what does it mean, judgment? Every person is given a number on Rosh Hashanah for how much money they're going to make that year, how much parnasa they're going to have. So v'tachtoch kitzva l'chol b'riyotecha, you should designate a, a, a designation of a specific amount to all your creations, v'tichtov et kezardinam, and you should write their decree, but don't sign it. Because we are like benoniim. And so we don't want the signature. There's an interesting minhag that the Mukubalim bring down of purchasing a new knife on Erev Rosh Hashanah. Have you heard of this? There's a minhag of purchasing a new knife on Erev Rosh Hashanah. Why? Because on Rosh Hashanah is the day when it's decided what a person's parnasa is going to be. It's decided how much money the person is going to make that year. Hopefully, I don't know if we'll get to it. But as we say soon, Mi ye ani, umi ye asher. Who's going to become poor? Who's going to become rich? We'll get, hopefully, we'll get to there soon. But that's decided. On, and the Mukubalim say, I don't know how they know this. I'm just repeating what it says. That the name of the angel who's in charge of Parnassah, his name is spelled Chet Taf Chaf. That's how, that's, that's how his name is spelled. It's because he is like the uh, slicer of, of Hashem. That's really what it is, because he designates these portions go for him, and so that's his name, Chet Taf Chaf. And the, most, the Pasuk that we say that Hashem gives Parnassah is Poteach et Yadecha. Poteach ends with a Chet, and Et ends with a Taf, and Yadecha ends with a Chaf. So in the Pasuk, Poteach et Yadecha, the Sof Tevot are a remez to the name of this angel. That's what it says, in the, which is why, in order to create a remez because on Rosh Hashanah we're all about simanim right we, it's all about simanim mm-hmm. we do all kinds of things in order to suggest that, on, on, uh, on, uh, that there should be simanim good signs for, for, uh, for good things so therefore in order to add to this I'm going to sit down but i got purses up here Alright, so in order to add to this, um, to add another siman, so what they say is that you buy a new knife on Erev Rosh Hashanah, the, the new knife will be chotech, will cut, in order to um, create a siman that there will be a good cutting, a good slicing, that your portion will be good. Now that's remazim, sgulot, simanim, all of that. But you notice in the language here, he says, That's an interesting language of v'tachtoch, you should cut. So it's clear, since he's a mukubal, he's going to use Kabbalistic language of v'tachtoch kitzvah as if there is a, a knife, and it gets into some other sawing that happens on Rosh Hashanah, but it's as if God is, is dispensing each person their portion um, to to why? Because on Rosh Hashanah Yikatevun, 
on Rosh Hashanah it is written, it is sealed. And we all know the rest of these words. These words should fill our hearts with dread. How many people will die? And how many people will be born? Who will live? Who will die? Who will live and die of old age? Who will live and die early? Who by water? And who by fire? Who by sword? Who by animals? Who by hunger? Who by thirst? There's some person who died in the middle of the desert, somewhere out there, dying of thirst, and it was decided on Rosh Hashanah, Mi Barash, Mi Ba who, uh, how many people died of a magefa in the last uh, year? Mi Bechanika, Mi Baskila, Mi Anuach, Mi who is going to have, uh, be able to stay where they are, and who's going to be driven into exile and have to move and run around all the time? Mi Shaket, Mi Taref, who's going to have peace? And who's going to go mad? Do you want your sanity to remain with you? So you have to pray for it. Mi shalev, who's going to have serenity? Umi yasar, and who's going to suffer? Mi ayani, mi who becomes poor, who becomes rich? Mi yishafel, mi yarum, who's going down and who's going up? This is all decided on this day. And so if you think about it, going back to his opening line of Unatana Tokef Kedushat Ayom, the holiness of this day, Kihu Norava Ayom, it's fearsome. This is, this is the day when the fate, the, the year is going to be decided, who lives and who dies. Who can think about food or, or how long the canter is cantering, or, or um, wh- why is, the, uh, why is that the, the person sitting next to me, why are, they, uh, why are their socks so many colors? How can you think about those things when it's the Day of Judgment? And so at that point, we want to give up. We want to give up, forget it. Who can stand in judgment? Kilo yizku badin. So what we do is we say to ourselves, and think of Rabbi, Rabbi Amnon. Think of Rabbi Amnon, who is, he feels like he's got hours left. And he calls out and he says, and the whole tzibur calls out, Uteshuva, utefila, utsedaka, mavirin, et roa Because Rabbi Amnon is saying to himself, in the end he's done teshuva. And tefillah and tzedakah, and this is for all of us, we take on ourselves, we'll be different. I'm going to be different. This is the moment when a person is, decides on Rosh Hashanah that they're going to live a different life. It's when they say the word teshuva, and the word tefillah, and the word tzedakah. And you'll notice in most machzorim, on top of the word teshuva is the word tzom. On top of the word tefillah is the word kol. And on top of the word tzedakah is the word mamon. Is it in your machzor? No. It's not there? Yeah, in many machzorim, on top of the word teshuva is the word tzom. Because fasting is the, one of the primary ways of teshuva. What is the numerical value of the word tzom? 136. Right? And tefillah is kol. Kuf vav lamed, 136. And tzedakah is mamon which is 136. What does mamon mean? Money. Tzom, and mamon, all of them, have the same numerical value of 136. Tzom, kol, and mamon. Kol, 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 
Tefillah. Right? Meaning that these three have a connection, but there's more than that. The, the, the uh, commentators point out that Itzom is 136, Kol is 136, Mamon is 136. When you add all that together, you get 408. Is that correct? Yes? 408, that's the word Zot. So when we say, Bezot Yavo Aharon, when it, in Yom Kippur, the begins the the Kriyat Torah begins Bezot Yavo Aharon. This is how Aaron will come the par with all the instructions. But they say Bezot Yavo Aaron. Aaron has to come with his Zot, which is his Tzom, his Kol, his Mamon. Mavirin In the end, no matter how terrible the decree, if we do Teshuva and Tefillah and Tzedakah, it will it will. And then we go on. And I know I'm out of time. So, um, but the, he goes on to say that you, we're, we're lowly beings, who are we? We're just creatures of flesh and blood, um, and we can, barely, we can barely survive. But you, Hashem, and then, then, then usually in most synagogues, they break into a march of sorts to sing about the malchut, the greatness and the kingship of Hashem, and we go back into the davening of the Kedusha. But in the Tanah Tokef, this prayer is the moment if you're going to let go if you're going to find five minutes on Rosh Hashanah when you can set aside all of the cynicism all of the childishness all of the materialism all of the distractions all of the depressions everything that you're going through in life if you can set it aside for five minutes and focus on the Yom Adin on the Day of Judgment this is it and the words spoken by someone who is on the edge of their own life in a state of teshuva. Again, you said there was just one small statement that the person made. But to him, this was like he had thrown his entire life away. The level of regret that he was experiencing is beyond anything that we can imagine. And we're trying to tap into a little bit of that. This is the fear that he was experiencing. So we have this great, great tzaddik who used the wrong words, and because of that, he brings himself to this great state of teshuva, but he's also at the edge of his life, and he turns this into a tefillah, which is meant to stir all of us to also be inspired, to do teshuva and tefillah and tzedakah, to bring ourselves a, a, a good year. May all of us be zocha that if we just focus on the words of this tefillah, but really all of the tefillah, and, and use it, to take that moment to inspire ourselves to teshuva, all of us will be zocha to a ktiva v'chatima tova, a good geben shdiyar. Bezrat Hashem, we will continue uh, next time. Uh, do, you know, do you know the Unetanet Tokif of Via Rosenblum? Do you know the... Uh, His from after... Uh, Powerful, yes. Is Rabbi Gelman on vacation? I don't know. Is Rabbi Gelman on vacation? Rabbi Galman, is he on vacation? No. He's not here. They wouldn't know. And, uh, and you have to listen. Send, send, me a, send me the link. I'll listen to it when, when there, I can. There are many of them. Um, right. The, the okay, I'll do the Gibbaton. I, I once heard... Um, the story is that uh,
joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.